coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today... To recap, Georgia sloppy, but I guess ultimately comfortable win over Arkansas is my co-host Curtis. And yeah, guys, it, it, we know. You watched it. You saw the same things we saw. It definitely wasn't pretty. And I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't having a mini freakout of sorts in the first half. And I, I did, guys. I went into it expecting some ups and downs on offense. So I was really trying to have the proper perspective But that's easier said than done when you're watching it happen in live action and the prospect of both your season being over in week one and then you also, on top of that, potentially experiencing a level of embarrassment that you just personally aren't quite ready for, all that staring you in the face, that makes the the idea of perspective just a little bit more difficult. But maybe I'm crazy. Curtis, were you freaking out a little bit in the first half like I was? All right, to be honest, I thought the game was going to be ugly. I didn't think it was going to be a... uh clean played game but I didn't expect it to be that ugly I think that that was what shocked me the most is how ugly it was and yeah I was getting a little frustrated um I started to feel better in that first half when we made the change and often seemed to have some life and especially that that two minute drill at the end made me feel a little bit better going into halftime but for a majority of that half I was very frustrated to say the least and kind of worried I was. I have to admit, I I was worried, man. Like, and I know, like, looking back in retrospect, okay, we win thirty-seven ten. Yeah, it was a comfortable win, but that first half was anything but comfortable. I mean, obviously, we go into the half. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't worried about losing either. I mean, the idea I was like maybe we could lose this game, but I think I was more worried about what lied ahead or what was lying ahead of us and saying if this is how it's going to be, then we're screwed. Okay, so yeah, I was obviously worried about that, but I was legitimately worried about that game, right? Because we had seen early in the day, we had seen. Top 10 teams, top five teams go down to teams they had no business losing to. So I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh my God, are we the next team? Are we the next team in line for this to happen to? New, new coordinator, new quarterback, new system, no spring practice. It was all kind of just like, for me, just all hitting at once. And I'm freaking out there. Thinking, obviously, knowing that we have more talent. We are a better, more talented football team than Arkansas. But considering the circumstances, going to half, 7-5, as ugly as that was, I, I was concerned. Now, obviously, I did have a little bit more confidence after that two-minute drive that Stetson took us down the field and he was able to get that field goal. That made me feel better going into the second half because I was like, okay, we're actually we're actually able to move the football a little bit because most of the first half, we were not moving the football. And that was concerning to me, especially when you realize that at first I thought it was Dwan Mathis or Bus. I, I didn't see us. I didn't know we were going to bring in Stetson Bennett. That was a surprise to me, honestly. We'll talk, talk about that more in just a second, but that took me by surprise. And, and knowing that JT Daniels was not really an option – them not being cleared yet, yeah, I, I was kind of freaking out. But obviously, I was freaking out over nothing because we were able to come back and win comfortably. And thank God, the mailman came in and saved the day for us. So we live to fight another day, at least for another week. But we will break all of that down in just a second. But first, I do have a couple of shout outs to make today. A big thank you to JT235, F. Dickerson, and Jonah18. For being the three latest listeners to leave us some really nice reviews on Apple Podcasts. Guys, we are incredibly grateful for that. We can't tell you how much we appreciate that support. You have no idea how much little things like that actually help us here on the Glory UJ Podcast. And look, we've had a lot of you help us out with five-star ratings and reviews over the summer. 
And we really appreciate each and every one of you who did that. It's definitely helping us tremendously. We have a few things going on behind the scenes that we're trying to work out. And trust me, all of those five-star ratings, those positive reviews, they are a massive help. So if you enjoy our podcast and you haven't had a chance yet to rate or review the show, please consider doing so. That would be awesome. But we've obviously got a lot to talk about today. So let's roll. And Curtis, the major talking point with this first game against Arkansas obviously centers around the quarterback position. That's pretty clear. That's where all the conversation is right now. With JT Daniels still not cleared for contact, Dwan Mathis, as expected, we all knew it was going to happen, he got the start and took his first ever collegiate game snaps. And, well, Curtis, how would you describe Mathis's first game action? Utter disappointment. It's hard to argue with that, man. Like, but what what were your ex- expectations going into into this game? I think that's something we need to look at first. I think maybe some of us. Well, expectation wise, even I mean, I expected him to actually look like he knew what he was doing. He just completely looked lost out there, and that, I think that's what had me most disappointed. Was just just the way he played his football IQ and a lot of things out there were just completely lacking. And I think that's what frustrated me the most. You know, there's some things that come the more experience you got, but there were some things that when he did it, I'm just looking at him like, what's going through your head? But I think you say that about a lot of players who are taking their first collegiate snaps, whether you're a true freshman or a redshirt freshman. Yes, I was saying those things too, Curtis. I mean, we were we were texting back. But I mean, forward. but you got to think about it. I don't care who you are, what level you are. If you run out of bounds when there's not another player with within five to ten yards of you, short of the first down the game, that's pretty pathetic in my opinion. Especially when your legs like, are I don't, I get, I get you don't want to get hit. But there's literally no one around you to hit you but your own player. So you, you pretty much got scared and ran out of bounds from because of your own player. That did happen. And I can't argue with that. That, that, that did absolutely happen. But I do – I'll say this. By no means was it a good performance at, at all. And I feel for the kid. I really do. But I do see – like I saw signs of potential. I see why people are excited about him. You see the athleticism. I mean, you could see the you could see his arm strength and his speed, uh, you know, being mobile and things like that. You could see that. But the one thing that really got me was he didn't get any better. It actually got worse. Well, I think that was the issue. I, I, you talked about how like football IQ and – and maybe that's part of it. Again, he's, he's a young guy. He's still learning. He's, he hasn't been in the system in three or four years. He hasn't seen a bunch of defenses. So his football IQ is probably not where it will be two or three years from now. But I think more than anything, when I was watching him play, it was just a lack of confidence. That's what I saw from him. I, I saw somewhat of the deer in headlights, especially after that first drive, after that first hit. Because let's be real, Curtis. When he, got, when he got hit by bumper pull on that first drive, that changed him. He was like, that, I know it was only a couple of snaps before that. But he looked like – I don't think he looked out of place and, and completely overwhelmed. He was timid all of a sudden. He, 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 was, very, he was very timid after that. And yeah, not I think that, that but like It did, and, and it brought it to the entire offense because I, the one thing I noticed was not just his play, but the entire offensive play. It's like the offense as a whole unit just lost confidence and wasn't clicking – when the quarterback just wasn't there for him. It's like they almost looked in his eyes and they could they didn't see that leader. There's a reason why I say the quarterback position is the most important position on the field. It's, it's for that reason. Everything feeds off of the quarterback. You can be elite everywhere else on the field, but if you don't have the quarterback to make the plays and the quarterback that people around him believe in, then your offense is not going to perform up to its capabilities. And I think that's what we saw in the first quarter and a half or so 
of that game. So, but I did see, I did see potential. I did see why people are excited. I do think that first big hit on the sideline from bumper pool, I mean, that was a massive shot and it shook him. He was clearly not the same after that. I would say even after he came back into the fourth quarter, he was still not the same. There was a second down run in the fourth quarter when he got on that first drive, he came back in where he could have very easily cut it up field and gotten the first down. Yes. He would. Oh yeah. He kept trying to bounce it outside. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He would have taken a hit. I don't know if it would have been a big hit, but he would have gotten hit. But he could have easily, easily gotten the first down just by cutting the ball off the field. But instead, he darted for the sideline three yards short of the first down. Yeah, I know you have another play. You, you, you can live to fight another day. It's now it's third and three. But that could have been a first down. And you've got to move the chain well, just, in that situation. Just like at the end of the game, too, I was getting a little frustrated when he's literally running out of bounds. Just, you know, fall down in bounds and let the clock run. Yeah, I, I just – I, I and I know it sounds simplistic, but I I believe that. I mean I know it's only a very small sample size before the big hit by Bumper Pool, but he didn't look overwhelmed to me the first couple plays. I think after that shot, he became extraordinarily hesitant and understandably so. Understandably so. This guy's coming off of brain surgery. I get it, man. I'm not trying to get shot at him. I just think the fact is he got very hesitant and very 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 tentative after that shot and he kind of like you were saying he kind of took away his own legs and when that's one of the strengths that you bring to the table with your skill set you can't take away one of your strengths like that in an sec game you simply cannot do that so and i, I don't know if that's going to be the case for him moving forward i don't think that's necessarily going to be the case i'm not giving up on this guy at all i think he still has a very potential bright future ahead of him here in athens i hope that's the case but i think it was the right move to insert Stetson Bennett in that game. I, I really do. And I also say this in, in defense of Dwan Mattis. I'm trying to be as fair as I can. Because I, I obviously, Kurt, when you and I were texting yesterday, I was like, oh my God, he's terrible. Like, what's going on? But the more I thought about it and tried to calm down and went back and, and watched the tape again and tried to just have an open mind about it, yeah, there are a lot of things that he's got to work on. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Well, that. I mean, like, but one thing that really sticks out too is just as much as he struggled, you know, with certain things, the points that he cost us really bothered me. Like that throw to Burton. I don't know where the miscommunication was, but it's literally five yards behind him. I don't think that was miscommunication. So I, I put the, I watched that play about 15 well, times. Well, see, Kirby tried to say something, like trying to hint at it almost, and I, I, I'm not sure if that's what he was talking about. But any, but that throw was just – yeah, that was, was another pathetic play. I mean, yeah, and, and Kirby did, he, yeah, Kirby did talk about miscommunications when, you know, when the quarterback's expecting to be one spot and the guy cuts a different way. He might have been alluding to that play. I don't know for sure if he was alluding to that play. It could be possible. But, and look, I don't know the play calls. I don't know what we're doing from a, a route standpoint on each and every play out there. But I watch a lot of football. I, I know a decent amount about football. And just watching that play, I I, I broke that play down about 15 times. I was like, you could, I heard Kirby say that. I was like, okay, let me get the on the bit of the doubt. Like, was this a receiver error? Because that was a true freshman receiver, too. Like, maybe it was a receiver error. What I saw on that particular play, that interception, uh, I think that was after the interception, right? Yeah, we, we got the interception. Count brings it down. We're inside the red zone. Should at least come away with three. And, and at that point, points are a premium. We needed points there to get some confidence offensively. On that particular play, I think Burton was the third read, the third progression in the read. I think Fitzpatrick was first in the middle of the field, kind of coming on like a little, a little crossing route in the middle of the field. I think Fitzpatrick was there for a touchdown. I think he was. There I for thought he was too, and I and I, that's the whole thing too. Is Fitzpatrick was open. And then he ends up going to Burton, who was open to her. I'm not sure he would have gotten a first down, but he could have, you know, tried to make someone miss or something. But and that's what I was talking about with him being timid. He was afraid to go for Fitzpatrick for the touchdown, and then settles for, you know, like you mentioned, probably his third read, and yet still throws it five yards behind him. Yeah, 
I think because the safety was kind of, it looked like they were in a cover three there from what I could tell. And he was kind of there in the middle of the field, but Fitzpatrick was open if he hit him in the right window. He was just, he, he hesitated. He, he looked at it a little too long. Because if you will watch that play, if you guys record the game, go watch that play. His eyes are on Fitzpatrick in the middle of the field first. I think that was his initial read. I think that was the primary option. But he didn't pull the trigger there. I don't know if, it, if he was afraid to make a mistake there. You t- that's right. You're going about the hesitancy, Kurt, the tentativeness after taking that shot or whatever it was, the lack of confidence. Then he, then he takes his eyes to the second read, which I think it was Karis Jackson, if I remember correctly. And he takes his eyes quickly off Jackson and goes to the third read in the progression, which was Burton. And by that time, maybe he, he would have gotten a first down. Like you said, I, I don't know, maybe, but at least you give yourself a fighting chance. But he throws the ball, what, two, three yards behind him? And I do think it's possible that Burton ran the wrong route there. It looks like he might have been confused with the defender kind of lined up over him, so he's thinking man coverage, so he kind of just keeps running across the field and keeps kind of streaking across the field that way instead of kind of sitting down there in the zone. So he potentially, as a true freshman, was confused there. But regardless, Mathis gets to him late. And when he gets to him so late in the progression, he's kind of rushing and panicking by that point. So he doesn't really see that even if Burton had missed a side adjustment, he doesn't see that Burton is kind of running that slant and streaking across the field instead of sitting down. So he ends up throwing the ball a couple yards behind him. At least, I mean, it was not even close. And see, the thing, too, is you go later in the game, we pretty much, in my opinion, run that very same play, and Stetson puts it on him, and Burton made a really nice catch, and, and that's what bothered me, too. It's like, just give, the, you give your guy a chance. Like, you can't even, you can't throw it three yards behind him. Yeah, and I think it was the – correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. I, it's all kind of blending together for me now, but I think it was the next drive after that where we're, we're in scoring position again, uh, at least within field goal range, potential field goal range. And that's when he has the snap go right through his hands. And after that, Kirby's like, oh, we, we got to make the move here. And, and look, things yeah. like that happen. Guys drop snaps. It happens. But you kind of put all that together. And I think that kind of goes back to the fact that he just – he was almost like deer in the headlights after he took that first big shot, was lacking confidence through that interception. And I, I just – I think it was the right move to get somebody else in there, somebody with a little bit more experience. And Kirby's right. Kirby talked about in the press conference about – how much experience matters. And I know a lot of us look at Stetson Ben like this guy has never played for us because he really hasn't. But that doesn't mean this guy has not played. He went to JUCO and started an entire year at JUCO. And those reps matter. No, it's not against SEC opponents. I get that. But those reps matter. You're seeing defense. You're, you're, you're making reads. You're doing well, all these things. Just, just like Stetson, the play wasn't there and he's smart enough to go out and get that first down rolling out, not trying to force something. And then the two-point conversion, he was smart enough to, you know, lay out and reach. He, I mean, just all five foot eleven of him to touch that pylon, like you know, it was it was that was the big difference. Is he knew what to do. He wasn't timid. Like even the yeah. passing pattern. And I have to say too is the changing quarterback changed my opinion on Monken also because I was a little frustrated with Monken. You know, just wasn't sure where we were going to go with this offense. And not saying we, our offense looked amazing when Bennett was in there, but everything opened up a lot more and looked a lot better, more fluid when he had a quarterback who was knew what they were doing with the ball, getting rid of it quicker. I think it was pretty clear that we were trying to protect Juan Mathis. Our game plan going into that game took into account that we had a redshirt freshman quarterback taking his very first collegiate snap. And that's pretty clear. We were not being overly aggressive offensively coming out in the first quarter. I, obviously, and I, and I get that. I, that makes sense to me. I, we alluded to that on the show. That's kind of what I expected coming into this game is that you want to get him out on the perimeter. You want to, you want to move the pocket a little bit, give him some easy throw, try to build some confidence. And we tried to do some of those things, but again, and then this is something that I think worked against Mathis. A lot of the penalties put him in a really bad situation. He was consistently having to be in third and long situations. That's not a position you want any quarterback to be in, especially a redshirt freshman quarterback taking his first collegiate snaps. I don't think we did him favors in that regard. I think our offense just 
by lack of discipline put him in some really bad situations that I think kind of ex- exposed his, his lack of confidence to a degree there. But yeah, I think we were very, very much so going into this game, trying to protect him and, and maybe, maybe, maybe protecting him is not the, the right way to say it, but certainly with a conservative game plan, where we want to, we want to kind of feel things out, give him some confidence and then open it up from there. But the thing is he never got that confidence. So it's tough to open it up with this guy that's got no confidence right now. I think that's why you have to make the move to testing because you're going to have access to more of your playbook when your offense is not moving the football. So I, I think that was – I think it was the right move, Kerr. I really do. So he, so Kirby does Kerr. Obviously, he makes the decision to insert the mailman at the 10-minute mark of the second quarter. So, Kurt, when when you see Stetson Bennett trotting out there, what thoughts were going through your head? I was just glad Kirby made a change, to be honest. And whilst, like you a lot of people may not think highly of Stetson, the one thing I do know about him is he's a gunslinger. And I knew him coming in that he was not going to be afraid. And that's what we needed at that moment, someone that wasn't afraid. Because Mathis had lost all confidence. I mean, it was you could just tell looking at him. He had zero confidence, as you've been mentioning. So I And I knew Stetson at least had confidence and would go out there and at least put the ball in the air and give your guys a chance. And I think that's the one thing I, I that was going through my head. Yeah, and I think that's so critical for a quarterback is to have confidence. I mean, we know Stetson is not the most talented guy in the world. We all know that. But but you just saw the difference of just having confidence and belief in yourself. You saw the difference that it made because that's really what happened. But my in my mind, like when I saw Stetson try it out, like really what I was thinking was like, okay, here we go. I guess this is what we got to roll with. It's like, what was our other option? Our other option was sticking with Mathis. And Kurt, if, if Kirby does not make that change and we stuck with Mathis the entire game, do we win that football game? Because Stetson was asked that question, and he obviously he did a really good job. You can't answer that. Which question. I thought that was a terribly loaded question. Yeah, I you cannot. A, you can't. You, that's a terrible question to ask. And as as a, and you can tell Stetson was kind of like annoyed with the question. Like, well, you ask, you want me to take a shot at one of my teammates? And no, that's not happening. It's a terrible question to ask a a quarterback in that situation. But that's the kind of thing that you and I can discuss here on this podcast. So, what do you think? Do you think we win that game if Dwan Mathis is the quarterback the entire game? Maybe it's a. A seven-point win or a three-point win. I think still think we may win, but it's not going to end up like it did. It would have been a razor-thin margin. I think we could have won the game. I think we could have, especially the way the defense was playing the second half and enforcing some turnovers and the way we were playing on special teams. But it would have been it would have been tight, man. It would have been tight. It would have been very tight. So I, I think Kirby made the right decision there. I, I'm I, and I, I was blown away by Stetson to be honest with you. I, and you're right. We knew this guy had this kind of gunslinger mentality. He's a gamer. We know all these things. We heard all the, the you know the legend of Stetson Bennett going back to the 2017 season. He's running the scout team, trying to pretend he's Baker Mayfield out there. And uh, you remember Mel Tucker talking about how how much of a baller he was, and, and he was like Stetson Bennett absolutely balled out. Well, and like, see, he this is an offense made for him. That's why he you know going back to that when he did the Baker Mayfield stuff. It, you know, he's a better in a. I mean, we spent a lot of the time in a shotgun, and. We did all that, and, and I think that's the one thing I really liked is that that offense at least fit Stetson's mentality better. And I think yeah. that's also another reason why it was good to make a change to someone who that, who has done stuff in that offense, where I think almost Mathis at this point is almost like a, a single-back quarterback, not sitting, spending all his time in the shotgun. Yeah, look, I know that you can make the argument that – because somebody did make this argument to me on Twitter on, in a direct message that you know Kirby pulled the trigger – on Mathis way too quickly. Like he, the, he pulled the hook on Mathis way too quickly, right? He should have given him more time because he got the first quarter and like maybe five minutes. I think it was, yeah, I think it was like the 10 minute, four second mark that Stetson comes in for his first snap. 
And I guess on some level, I get that like you want to have quarter, give quarterbacks a chance to work through things. But the, the fact is, our offense was simply not moving. We were not. Well, moving. and look at this. Look at the stats. And the, the, when ESPN talked about it, and it really, or SEC Network talked about it, and it, I mean, you could say he pulled the trigger too quickly. Juwan Mathis had zero points in six drives. I believe Stetson Bennett had twenty-seven points or thirty points because we went for two. Or I, I can't remember. He, uh, he had twenty, no, twenty-two points. I think it was 22 points yeah. and six drives. Yeah. Either way, he had a heck of a lot more yards or points for our, our offense in the same amount of drives. So you can't say that he pulled him too quickly when you give him both the equal reps and you look at it. Stetson was a heck of a lot more productive. And, uh, I mean, yeah, me. Mathis needed to work through some things, maybe, re, uh, you know, going through his progressions, things like that. But you also can't, you know, put your team in a bind when a quarterback can't catch a snap and takes you out of field goal range. And in that – that way we lost, like, at, at a minimum six points b- between a field goal with that pick and a field goal with that um, drop snap. Drop snap, You can't yeah, do that. Points, yeah. yeah. At, at a minimum, that's six points. So, I mean, you can't continue to give a kid a chance when he's costing your team true points in that situation. Totally agree. And let me give you some more stats of the difference between our offensive production with Stetson versus Dewan Mathis. The offense was just moving better with Stetson. There's no doubt. So we had I went I went back and counted counted these yardage numbers myself. But we had 36 total offensive yards with Dewan Mathis through the first 20 minutes, the first quarter, and the first five minutes of the second quarter when he was the starting quarterback. And then Stetson essentially played two quarters. Right, he essentially played two quarters before Mathis came back in in the fourth quarter. With Stetson Bennett in two quarters of action, plus you know give or take two quarters of action, our offense had 296 yards. 296 yards of total offense. In two quarters of action with Stetson Bennett, we had we punted the ball one time with Stetson Bennett quarterback. We punted the ball six times with Dewan Mathis. It's there's no comparison here. The offense was clearly wait. Not only that, and as mobile as Mathis was, he did nothing to help the offense. You know, a lot of the announcers were like, "Why isn't Georgia able to run the ball?" Well, all of a sudden, when they at least had to think that we could throw on them, like Stetson, you know, gave them the idea. All right, I'm going to complete some passes on you. Wow! All of a sudden, the run lanes started opening up. Well, that's that was one of my next questions here. So, yeah, the offense clearly started to look competent all of a sudden, huh? And and so my question, Kurt, is like, what is the difference with Stetson in, in, in this game? Like, what was the difference in our offense with Stetson in the game? Why all of a sudden did we start moving the ball with so much? Because we could complete passes. I mean, the, the, just completing the passes was the biggest thing. I mean, look at that touchdown pass to Pickens. You didn't have to throw a perfect pass in the end zone for a guy to make a great catch. You just got to give the guy a ball, the ball and give him a chance to make something happen, which is what he did. Stetson kept the play alive, goes to the left, hits Pickens in the chest, and allows Pickens to use his athletic ability and get in the end zone. That's all we needed someone to do. We didn't need someone to make the spectacular throws with their big arm and stuff like that. No, you just needed to complete passes to soften up the coverage. Yeah, it's, it's that simple. It really is. I was sitting here, you're right. They were talking on the end of the game, like, why can't Georgia run the ball? It's not complicated, guys. They were outnumbering us in the box. It was the same, like the first quarter and a half of the Arkansas game was the exact same story that we saw last year, where we could not pose a threat in the pass game. Therefore, defenses did not respect it, and they just load up the box. They outnumber us, and you have free-running defenders who are making plays, guys who we just simply don't have enough blockers to actually block. They're free runners. No one is there to block them. You cannot consistently run the ball against those kind of looks. You can, you can maybe spring a play here and there, but nothing consistent. We just simply were not posing a threat in the passing game. And you're exactly right, Curse. Once Stetson comes in and we show the ability to actually complete forward passes, 
all of a sudden, Arkansas has to start changing their defensive structure. And all of a sudden, when they have to do that, they don't outnumber us in the box as consistently. And now you actually have some room to run the ball. And, you know, Stetson Bennett, you know, he's not as fast as DeJuan. I mean, Stetson's a pretty good athlete himself. But when we actually ran some quarterback draws, when we ran some zone reads with him, he was scrambling. He was not afraid to take a hit. Like, he was not afraid to actually stick it up there and take a hit. And, and, and get whatever he could he could in the run game. And when you're able to do that and you actually have a quarterback that will pull the ball in a zone read and actually get some positive yards. And, and this is also going back to last year with Jay Fromm. We'd run zone read all the time. The guy would never pull it. I, honestly, I'm not even sure he, he was given the option to actually pull it. It might have just been like the, the look, the aesthetic of a zone read, but it wasn't actually a, a zone read. But when Stetson would pull that, all of a sudden that backside in that was crashing down all game before that, now he can't crash down as much. And so the run game opens up. It's just it, – it's simply about – and I've talked about this the past couple weeks, guys. It's about putting defenses in run-pass conflict, which we were not doing with Juan Mathis. With Stetson, all of a sudden we're doing that. And then lo and behold, it's magic. You all of a sudden start putting up a lot more yards. You start putting up a lot more points in your offense. And all of a sudden, a totally different story. So I think when Stetson comes in, he was the thing that stuck out for me the most with Stetson, it was he was totally in control. It was it was the complete yeah, like he, the, the offense in general. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm not saying the penalties were Mathis' fault, but it just seemed different that the entire offense all of a sudden was playing with a lot more confidence from top yeah. to bottom. Yeah, I mean, the dichotomy between what we saw, the kind of deer-in-the-headlights look from DeWan Mathis after that that big hit from Bumper Pool, and then the look of Stetson Bennett completely in control, poised, confident, accurate with the football, gutsy, gritty, all those things. I'm not saying that – I mean, DeWan Mathis is a gutsy, gritty dude. Being able to come back and play football after brain surgery, I'm not challenging this guy's guts at all. I'm just saying in that game – he, he was a little gun shy after that first hit, but Stetson wasn't dealing with that. I mean, he, he obviously he went out there and took that hit, getting that two point conversion. I think I really rallied the, the team. Kirby talked about how that juiced everybody up. Stetson was the one that brought the juice. And I absolutely 100% buy that. So it was just the the complete opposite of what we saw from Dewan Mathis up until that point. Again, I'm not saying Dewan can't, I, I'm not giving up on Dewan Mathis. I think this guy can still be a really, really good quarterback for us. But I think in this game, in that moment, and right now for this team moving forward, I think Stetson Bennett right now is the guy that's in control that, that's going to help us allow us to actually move the ball on a somewhat consistent basis offensively. So I think Stetson was great. I, I, I think Stetson balled out. That's what I put out there on Twitter. I think he balled yeah, out. Yeah, 20 of 29. I mean, the guy was accurate, made good throws, gave his guys chances to make the ball or make catches. He was decisive, a very catchable ball. I'm not saying Stetson has the greatest arm in the history of the world. He does not. But I, I think having a throwing a catchable ball is far more important than having a rocket arm. Like, rocket arms are great, yeah. but it's a luxury. Like, you know who has a rocket arm? Felipe Franks has a rocket arm. But Felipe Franks doesn't always throw the ball accurately. He doesn't always throw a catchable ball. Yeah, Felipe Franks throw one good one like he did on that rolling out for that touchdown pass. But other than that, he threw quite a few passes that were ugly. Yeah, I mean that, that, that's who Felipe Frank is. Stetson was just accurate. That it came down to the accuracy was the big difference. I mean, like that throw to Pickens, that was nothing special. I mean, it wasn't a long throw. It wasn't even like he threw it that hard. But he hit him in the chest and hit him in a position where he's not having to go. Like he, it's one of those where you hit him and give him a chance to keep moving. Like I think it was later in the game, or I can't remember when it was, but Mathis hit. Uh, I want to say Fitzpatrick or someone over the middle, and Fitzpatrick had to go down to catch it. And there's no chance for a you know, run after catch where if you hit them in the chest or hit them in a place where they're still moving, they can make a play. Just like in the uh, the two-minute drill when he hits Darnell Washington, the beautiful throw that only Darnell could catch up high and in a position, too, where Darnell could still get fight for extra yardage like he did. 
100%. Yeah, Stetson's not going to throw the ball 65 yards in the air. But how often are we going to ask Stetson to throw the ball 65 yards in the air? There, there are some throws where a strong arm really helps you out. But I'm, I'm sorry, down in, down out, it's much better and much more effective for an offense to have a quarterback that can throw an accurate ball, that understands what defenses are doing, knows where to go with the ball, is decisive in making decisions on where to go, and then can actually put the ball on the money and give your players a chance. That's When you have receivers like we have, I think we have some really good receivers, by the way, all you need to do is put the ball out there for them to make a play. Let them make plays. And that is what Stetson Bennett was doing. And we will continue this quarterback conversation in just a minute. But I want to take a minute to remind you guys about my bookie. The SEC college football season is officially back. It was a wild weekend in college football with a couple of top-ranked teams going down. The fun really is just beginning. So now is the perfect time for all of you to get in on the action at my bookie. It's winning season, and winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means watching live sports, betting on live sports. Basically, every sport on earth is back, guys. Now is the time. Get in on the action. Use the promo code OVERTIME and double your first deposit. If you're a brand new player, you get all the way up to $1,000 in free money to play with. And that's just going to add to all the excitement that the college football season brings your way. So bet with the best this football season for your chance to win big. Again, the promo code is OVERTIME and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at my bookie. And we've got a couple days left, guys, on the promotion that OVERTIME is running for all of our listeners. We're giving away $500 in cash to one lucky person through the month of September, who takes advantage of this offer. When you make your deposit, just take a quick screenshot of your MyBookie account, email that over to overtime at advertisecast.com. That's overtime at advertisecast.com. And 500 bucks will be given away to one lucky winner at the end of September. But all right, back to our quarterback conversation. We were talking about Stetson Bennett. I think he balled out. I think he was great. But Curtis, that's Arkansas. My question now is, will this translate beyond Arkansas? How do you expect this to translate to games against, oh, I don't know, Auburn this weekend, Tennessee, and maybe even Alabama if Daniels can't get cleared? I have more confidence in what Stetson can do because the fact is he at least knows what to do with the ball, and he's calm back there. You have to have someone who can keep calm because even those good teams will bring pressure and things like that, and you can't have someone who's afraid back there. Oh, and, I, I mean, the – and I think that's the biggest thing, too, is you just got to be someone that has – and they have to know – I think that Stetson, too, being older, knows how to prepare better. I mean, the guy hasn't pre- been preparing to you know play as much as he did on Saturday, yet you would have thought he had prepared like that the whole time because he came in and knew what to do with the ball. And that's how you beat good teams because that, – and that's another thing, too. Stetson didn't really take sacks because he knew what to do with the ball and get rid of it. He took one. Um, he did one he should have thrown away. He, he took one where he should have thrown it away, yeah. And, but then he learned later in the game he threw it away. Yeah, that, and that's that, yeah, absolutely. I think that's what I, you have I, to I do to beat it, Auburn. I'm not saying he's the best quarterback in all these things, but I think you have you can, like he 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 won't lose you a game. He'll at least give you a fighting chance. So, what is our ceiling with Stetson Bennett at quarterback? Have you altered your expectations for our season if Stetson has to be the guy? If he's the guy for the whole season, then it could be a eight and two, seven and three season. Okay. I, I don't think that's unfair. I think that's certainly reasonable, to be honest. But let me ask you this, because this is something I've been thinking about, all right? And you guys know that for the past, what, three years, I was the, the president of the Jay Fromm fan club. So this is not an insult in any way whatsoever. 
Uh, I, I think we won a lot of games with Jake Fromm. That's why I'm bringing this into the equation. So, Kurt, let me ask you, just ask you this. Other than having about, yeah, three inches and about 30 pounds or so on sets of minutes, and yeah, a lot more game reps. But other than that, what did Jake Fromm give us that Stetson Bennett cannot? Absolutely nothing because Stetson Bennett brought the juice, as you said. You know, the team rallied around him. He brought a lot of energy, a lot of, brought a lot of grit to the game. And he's actually more athletic. He was able to do the, you know, there's that one time, I think it was his first drive, they brought him in. He did a quarterback draw for like a 12-yard gain. I mean, he, he actually has better legs than Jake. Um, so it's not like legs, Jake brought, version of his legs. Yeah, it's not like Jake brings that much more than um, – or does anything better than Bennett, I think. But I think the one thing I do have to bring up, though, is as we saw, Jake wasn't enough to get us over the hurdle. And so that's the only thing I'm not sure if Bennett is the yes. guy that could do bring enough to get us over the hurdle. Yeah, we never won a, a national championship with Jake Fromm. We got extraordinary close. We never won it. We get in the playoffs, we got a national championship game. We all know that. I But I, I would say this year, offensively, I think we have more weapons, more weapons who are ready to contribute offensively than we had last year for Jake Fromm. I think if Jake Fromm had – the guys we have offensively this year, like and if George Springs was a sophomore, Kyrus Jackson is in his third year. You got Jermaine Burton, you got Darnell Washington, all these guys, and you got you got Todd Munkin as your coordinator. I think it might have been a different story last year. I, I could be wrong. I think it'd be a different story. But I'm just all I'm saying is like, look, we won a, we didn't win the whole thing. You're right, Kurt. We did not ever get over the actual hump to get to win national title. We got really really close to one SEC title, but we won a ton of football games with Jake Fromm and really good defense. So we have a really good defense, and I think we have more weapons this year than we had. And we don't have a Nick Chubb or Sonny Michelle, but certainly more weapons than what we had last year. So I, I'm, I've been thinking about this all day. Like, what can Stetson? Like, what did Jake Fromm give us that Stetson Bennett cannot? Yeah, I know Fromm is a little bit taller and a little bit thicker, but Stetson throws. I mean, all the things that made Jake Fromm Jake Fromm and that that were his good qualities. Those are you can say the same things about Stetson Bennett. The fact that Jake Fromm understood defenses, he knew to go where the knew where to go with the ball. He was pretty decisive. He was accurate underneath for the most part. wasn't necessarily very accurate with the deep ball. But all those things are true of Stetson Bennett. Plus, as you mentioned, Stetson Bennett is more athletic than Jake Fromm. Not as big, but more athletic. I would trade the size for athleticism all day long. So, I like, and maybe this is me just talking myself into it. But I'm trying to be as objective as I can about this. Jake Fromm was not a physically gifted dude. And Stetson Bennett isn't either, but I think their strengths are very, very similar. And if we were able to win all those games that we did with Jay Fromm, get into the SEC title game, give us a shot to get into the playoffs every single year with Jay Fromm as our starting quarterback, I don't see why there's a reason we cannot do it with Stetson Bennett with the defense that we have, with some of the weapons that we have offensively. Yeah, he doesn't have as much experience. I will say that. But Jay Fromm also got us to a national title game, or he was part of getting us to a national title game as a true freshman. So I don't know. I got, I'm not, I'm honestly, I feel, I feel decent. I, I thought like I would be freaking out after the game. You're saying I kind of was, I was like, Oh my God, Stetson Bennett's going to be our guy the rest of the way. But the more I think about it, I'm like, is like, is that a death sentence? I don't think it has to be a death sentence. I really don't. Cause I think this guy can play. He doesn't have the physical, physical measurables. He does not. He's small. Sure. But I just don't think that disqualifies him from being competitive against better defenses. Again, he understands defenses. He's decisive. He's accurate. He's athletic. He's gritty, gutty. He makes good decisions. And Kurt, aren't those things winning quarterbacks have to be able to do? Aren't they? Yeah, they are. And there are a lot of quarterbacks who have, like Jacob Eason. God bless him. And I think, and I love Jacob Eason. I love the way he handled the situation in 2017. But that guy has all the physical tools in the world. But he, he, a lot of those things that winning quarterbacks have to do that I just rattled off, like understanding defenses, being decisive, being accurate, being athletic. Like Eason doesn't really do all those things. And as as gifted as he is physically, he was never an elite quarterback. I'm not saying Sesame will be elite, but like. He, his teams never really did all that much with Jacob Eason. I know he only had two years as a starter, 
But I give me Stetson Bennett right now. Uh, I know it's a small sample size, but what I saw, I think we can win with this guy if the defense keeps playing at a high level and the, the receivers keep growing and we keep trying to find ways to get the running backs involved and the offense keeps growing itself and we keep adding more to the to the quarterback's play. I think we can win some games with Stetson Bennett. Do I feel super confident going to Alabama and trying to win that game? I don't know. Maybe not. I might be a little more confident with, with JT Daniels there. But let's take it there, Curse. We cannot end this quarterback discussion without talking about JT Daniels and this, and this lingering injury. And here's one thing that I've been thinking about, Kurt. One thing that I think might be pretty telling when talking about this injury and, and when will Daniels possibly get cleared is the fact that Daniels actually made this trip. Kirby Smart puts a – Yeah, that was the big thing too because the way COVID is, no one's making that trip unless there's a chance they can play. Absolutely not. I mean, Kirby always – like. Just as a principle, he puts a premium on roster spots and travel spots. If he does not think you can help the team, you ain't making the trip. It's a business trip. So what do you make of the fact that JT Daniels did indeed make this trip? All right, I'm not saying that he's cleared and that Kirby was just holding him out. But I think that if they had truly needed him, they probably could have cleared him to play. But Kirby thought that this would be a chance uh, for, to get everyone out, you know, to get Juwan some good game experience. He didn't expect Juwan to, you know – crap the bed as much as he did per se and he thought that what we had on the raw you know active right now was enough to win and and I, Stetson made a really good point too in the uh post-game press conference that the with COVID the, the pandemic the way it is any one player could get it and be out so we have to have more than one guy with game time experience that's ready to go no oh, no doubt absolutely especially that position well here's what I'm thinking right here's what mine is with this Kurt I think the fact that Kirby Smart brought JT Daniels on this trip, what that tells me, and this is me reading between the lines, okay? I don't know this for a fact. But what I read out of that is that Daniels is very close to being cleared. Like when Kirby Yeah, said, like, like he's just waiting for it almost. Yeah, like, like, like literally it could be any day. Like the fact that, okay, he didn't get cleared on Thursday before he left. He didn't get cleared on Friday night, but, you know, wake up Saturday morning and he might get cleared, right? Like that's what it tells me. Because if, if you don't think there's a chance that any given day he could wake up and get cleared – then why do you bring him on this trip if he's not going to – if he clearly is yeah, not going to Yeah, because did play? Beck make the trip? I didn't see Beck. I can't say for sure. I, I didn't see him on the sideline. I was looking. I didn't see him. Ch- I didn't see Beck. But if, there, if they didn't think that there was a chance that Daniels could be cleared, they would have brought Beck instead. Yeah, and Kirby's been saying all along, like, you know, weeks ago, he's talking about, yeah, we expect we definitely expect him to be cleared before the season. And then as we got, you know, within a week or two of the season, then it was kind of like, we hope. It, it changed from expect to we hope. But he was still saying essentially like it could happen like almost at any given time. It could happen any day. So I think that's what that tells me is that you don't bring him on that trip unless like there's a legitimate chance in your mind and that the doctors aren't telling you that, yeah, any given day this guy can get cleared. So why not bring him? Because like if you bring him and he gets cleared on Saturday, then maybe he's your guy and you go with him. So then he tells me that, number one, also tells like if you're gonna, if you think that he needs to come because he might get cleared, that also might tell me that he's the number one guy when he does get cleared. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, why else would you bring him? I mean, I just, that's just the way I'm looking at this. I don't know. But I, I just I thought that was interesting that we brought him. But here's another question, Chris. I'm not a doctor. Neither are you. We know that. But, like, what what does this man have to do to get clear? Like, if it's one of these things where, like, he can wake up the next day and get clear, like, what test are we putting him Yeah, on? that's the one thing that's kind of blown my mind. Like you said, it's like, what are, what are they looking for? What is the standard? Because, what is, what, like, because what is, if he's I, able to so if he's able to do everything in the scrimmage but get hit, and so that means he's cutting on it, he's throwing on it, you know, putting weight on it, and all these things. Then what? Like I, I'm, I'm in that same position. Like what? What's the, what's the threshold that we're looking for? 
is it actually related to the ACL? Because I know he, went, he apparently went in and had another procedure last December, a couple months after the, the, the initial ACL surgery. Is there scar tissue? Like, what? Like, are they going in there and they, are they looking at it? Are they taking it? Was it an MRI? And then he has, and it has, they're, they're looking to see, is there something in there in the MRI that's kind of giving them concern? They're trying to wait for that to go away. Is it, is it like a flexibility test? Like, I just don't know. What is the standard? Like, what does this guy have to do to get cleared? Because it's, it's just weird to me that, like, they're, it almost seems like they're acting like, like, literally, he could wake up any given day. Like, if he wasn't ready yesterday, then what is he going to be doing today that's going to get him cleared? Does that make sense? Like, I just don't know what it is. So I don't know. I don't know. That's why people ask me, like, do you think Daniels is going to get cleared? I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm not even sure what he has to do to get cleared. Like, I don't know what we're doing. I trust Ron Corson. I really do. He's the best in the business. But I just don't know what's going on. And it sucks. And obviously, they can't tell us because, you know, you got all the medical rules there. You can't, you can't put their information out there like that. But I don't know, man. Like, it seems like on one level, yeah, he get cleared tomorrow. But then it's just like, oh, if he's that close, why don't you go ahead and clear him? Like, if he's that close, like, what, what are we doing? I don't know. It's kind of it's weird for me. It's weird for me. But if if he, if he does get clear, Curtis, do you think he's the guy right away? Oh, there's no question because at least what we saw on Saturday, Mathis sure as heck isn't the guy. And as much as Stetson did for his, his good on Saturday, I don't think he can has all the tools that JT Daniels could bring to the table. I, I think Daniels clearly has more physical tools. I think Stetson it might, might be a little and, bit more. Athletic. And he also has the experience too. He's done it at you know. On a big time stage, too. Well, let me ask you this. Look, I don't. I'm not saying this is going to happen. Let's just let's just pretend, though, right? Let's just use it for the sake of this exercise. Let's say, all right, we won the Arkansas game with Stetson. We beat Auburn. We beat Tennessee. JT Daniels is cleared the Monday going into Alabama. Do you start Daniels or do you keep going with Stetson, who's got us to three and zero? If that does end up happening, we might lose this weekend. Who knows? But let's just say, if if that scenario happens, do you bench Stetson and you go with JT? Um, you might start JT or Stetson and bring in JT. I don't know. I think I, I think you'd have to keep going with, J, with with Stetson until he gives you reason to not go with him. If if that happens, and I don't know, like we honestly could lose Saturday. Like I, I'm less confident than I was last week. Honestly, going into Saturday, I still think we're the better team. And Stetson did give me some more confidence in what I saw. You know, the first quarter or so with Mathis, but yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. If we were able to get to three and zero, I think you got to. I think you got to start Stetson. I think you do. And we'll see if that ends up happening, but and give him a chance to, to show what he can do. And if, if he starts faltering, then you bring in Daniels, if that's the case, but it's interesting. It could be another quarterback conundrum here in Athens. There's no doubt that could be the case, but all right, enough about the quarterback position. We know there's a lot of interest slash consternation around that position. So we want to make sure to cover it as in depth as we possibly could to open the show today, but the rest of the way, we're going to talk about things other than the quarterback position. We're going to just kind of open things up and go back and forth trading observations from the game. There are a lot of things outside of quarterback to talk about, so we want to get to as many of them as we can. We're going to go kind of rapid fire this. Call it a stream of consciousness of sorts, I guess. But, Kerr, outside of the quarterback position, give me something that stood out to you. What are some observations you make? Give me one here. Probably the fastest defense I've ever seen play, or at least for a long time. It really is. I, I, I wasn't sure – that we would be able to match what we were able, what we did defensively last year, and, and the jury's still out there from an overall production standpoint. But from a speed standpoint, like a lot of those guys that return, they all look faster to me. Like Richie looks faster, Tyson Campbell even looks faster. Like Nicobe Dean, Quay Walker, Monty Rice, Stevens, and all these guys, Mark, all of them just look like they're moving at a different level. Maybe it's confidence. I don't know. 
but they look like they were moving at a different level. And I think this defense has all the marks of being another elite unit. There's no doubt there. And I'm going to stick with the defensive side here for a second for me. I'm going to I'm going to pinpoint the rush defense. I think the rush defense, Kurt, is going to be dominant again this year. That front seven is ridiculous. I mean, I, we gave up 2.8 yards per rush. Uh, last year, we gave up 2.62 yards per rush the whole year. I know it's a small sample size, but we are right from a production standpoint, right about where we were last year, kind of picked up right where we left off, under 100 yards rush. I think it was like 77 total rush yards for them, 2.8 yards per rush. This rush defense is going to be dominant yet again, Kurt. A team like Auburn, let's go to Auburn this week. Do you think that they're going to have success running the football against this rush defense? I would be shocked because they struggled with their rushing offense against Kentucky's defense. Yeah, I mean, Kentucky has a good front, but I think our front is better than Kentucky's. You're right, Auburn, and we'll talk more about this as the week goes on. But Auburn, like, they don't have a dominant running back right now. Their offensive line is still very much a work in progress. Bo Nix could potentially be a factor in the run game, but, hey, uh, Rakeem Boyd is a better running back than anyone that Auburn has right now. So the fact that we were able to hold them in check, I I feel pretty good about our rush defense moving forward yet again this season. All right, what else you got next, Kurt? Uh, My uh, special teams, I was very impressed with special teams. I mean, it was unbelievable, right? Like, and how much of that do you chalk up to Scott Cochran's impact? Is that about Scott um, Cochran? So I, well, Camarda experienced because, I mean, he was the MVP of that first half. I mean, he flipped the field position, kept getting them inside the 20. He was the MVP of the first half. But um, the, the part I do put on Scott Cochran was, you know, personnel, maybe, you know, the block punt, having Zamir out there, bringing the house. Um, and on that, you know, I was really, I really loved what we did where, we score that touchdown, get some energy. Um, then we decide not to kick it into the end zone, and we allow them to do a return, and we come out there and hit them at the 15, and then we end up getting the pick six. But we pinned them deep, and I just thought, you know, I thought that was a Cochran-esque part, you know, because it just seemed like they came out with a lot of energy coming down the field. But yet they were disciplined at the same time staying in their lanes. Yeah, there are a couple of things. I want to talk about special teams for a minute here. I'm glad you brought this up. That's certainly one of the things I was going to bring up if you didn't. You're totally right about Jake Camarda. What a what a difference a year makes, right? I mean, inconsistency was his middle name his first two years in Athens, which makes sense as a young guy. But I went back and counted it. Five punts down inside their 11-yard line. I know the 10-yard line is kind of like the, the cutoff, right? But like the 11, like what's the difference between the 11 and the 10-yard line? So five punts down inside their 11, one at the one-yard line. An unbelievable job. Like consistently, he did. He was able to do it consistently for an entire game. Like, I don't know. Yeah, if it was I mean, a like that one it. time that we had the penalty and Pittman, you know, brought it back, thinking, "Oh, Kamara's not going to pin us again because he's Mister Inconsistent." What does he do? It practically puts it almost the same exact spot, and that was what really yeah. impressed me. Yeah, because like he had, I mean, he showed signs as a freshman and sophomore of of being a great punter. He just couldn't do it consistently within games, but to do it five times inside their eleven. Unbelievable. Just an unbelievable job by Jake Camarda. I, I hope he's kind of turned the corner because this is a guy that I thought was an elite kicking kicker slash punter coming to high school. And it looks like he's finally kind of putting it all together. So that, that's that's great news for us. The return game was fantastic. Like, what did you make of like I, I was surprised. Yeah, we had some explosive returns. Some yeah. very explosive returns on both sides, not just the kickoff, but also punt return. Um, you know, we had a couple penalties, but I thought I, it was just the energy was completely different, and that doesn't shock yeah. me because that's what you expect from Scott Cochran. But you saw it. The, there was just a lot more energy from every player on that field when the time came for them to get out there. For sure, for sure. Were you surprised that Kenny McIntosh was the the kickoff guy, the kickoff return guy? 
Um, I didn't think it'd be Cook or someone, but he's one of your technical starting running backs. They don't usually like to put a starter back there. Uh, but I was a little surprised, yes. Um, you know, I thought I, I mean, maybe yeah. Garris or someone. All the people that I heard from that, that had a chance to either see practice or see scrimmages, no one that I can recall mentioned to me that Kenny McIntosh was getting looks back there. I heard James Cook a couple times. I heard D-Rob. I heard Kieris. I don't remember hearing anything about Kenny McIntosh. So when he was the one to return kicks, I was kind of like, huh, Where, where'd that come from? But, dude, like he looked really, really good returning those kicks. Kieris looked like a different – just a different dude all the way around in the, in the return game, in the pass game. Kieris looked like he could be a big-time player for us. I'm really happy for this guy. Uh, he, he's a great guy on and off the field. So I'm, I'm really excited for him to, to have the opportunity to, to really make an impact on this team and the block punt, man, uh, Zeus. And that's another thing that, I, I, that really, that I'm, I just, I love so much. Would you have your starting tailback out there on the punt block unit? Like, well, especially after every, everyone raised hell when Zeus towards ACL for the second time. Yep, yep. But I, just, I love the culture that special teams matters. You send a message when you have your starting tailback out there blocking punts that's awesome i think the best special teams units in the country you see that you see that culture of special teams matters you have stars out there competing for playing time and you just make a big deal out of it so i love it i mean scott cochran i know it's only one game small sample size but so far through one game yeah only one game he's passing the test of flying colors i love what i saw there what so also, i want to give a that. shout out to um i'm not always good with his name but the place uh, yeah I, you know sam Pittman did him a favor calling that second time out and I think that's the best thing he could do because he actually got a real kick out of his system, got that first on-the-field kick. And after that, he was pretty consistent. Yeah, I mean, in the one he made before halftime, that that would have been good for another 15, 20 yards. So this guy's got a sob. I'm not saying he's got an elite leg, but it's a good enough leg. Uh, and he's not Rodrigo Blankenship. That's fine. But if, if he can be consistent and, and, and kick those, knock those field goals down you know, inside the 30-yard line, then I feel pretty good about our kicking game. Now, again, small sample size, but – I like what I saw in, in that small sample size. All right, next up for me, Curtis, I'm, I'm going to go here. Our outside linebackers are going to be absolutely hell to deal with. Of those three guys. Oh, my God. Three, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which one you talk about. Right. And that, that's my question. It's like, who who do you like the best, Curtis? You got Jermaine Johnson. You got Aziz. You got Nolan. I thought, I thought Jermaine Johnson had the best game because when they brought him on the blitz, he did a good job holding the pocket. But he also did a great job as a spy. Um, I thought he, 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 he did a great know, job he, peeling off in pass coverage as well a couple times. Yeah, he, he he's the one have that stats that'll jump. Yeah, he'll have no stats that'll jump out at you, but the coaches will notice it, and I noticed it. And I thought he did a lot of the you know the the big things that helped the team win, like put, staying in the pocket, keeping Franks from uh, you know using his legs, um, still getting pressure, things like that, and just like that one where he, he if he had turned around he could have six. I mean, he was just always in the right position. Yeah, he did a great job. Honestly, it's tough to pick. I think they all played so well. I'll go a different direction. I'm going to go Nolan Smith. I was really impressed by Nolan. My one concern with Nolan coming into the season was he just he's not as big as Aziz and certainly as Jermaine Johnson right now, but he was throwing guys around, guys that almost looked like they were twice his size, throwing them around the offensive line, setting the edge with authority, rushing the passer, showing that first step quickness, just kind of leaving guys, staying there like, huh, what's going on? Getting in the sack, getting pressure. Uh, again, just holding that edge, making plays, chasing plays down. I think Nolan Smith showed signs in this first game. I know like, he's not going to play every down. He's going to be rotating. Probably, it, it, it really seemed like they were rotating series by series with, with those three guys. We, on standard downs, we have one of those guys in there at a time. And we were, I think we start with Aziz, we went with Nolan, then Jermaine, and they kind of just kept rolling like that throughout the rest of the game. But I thought Nolan Smith showed signs 
of living up to that number one overall recruit coming out of high school ranking. I, I think he showed signs. I think this guy could be on the verge of breaking out. And you can say the same thing about Jermaine. You can, I mean, Aziz kind of already broke out a little bit last year, but he could be on the verge of taking another step. They're all just so filthy, man. And we are just so blessed right now at that position because we didn't even talk about Adam Anderson coming in on third downs, doing what he does, his versatility. We are just blessed right now at that position. All right, what's next for you? I'm going to stick on the defense. I was really impressed with the push from the defensive line, not not only in stopping the run, but also in the pass rush. They did a good job of, you know, for lo- the longest time, we would have decent outside linebackers that could get pressure, but then the quarterbacks would always step up in the pocket and escape. Well, that wasn't the case. They did a great job of pushing the line no matter what the play was. It was like, pardon my lameness here, guys, but it was the Great Wall of Georgia. Like, they, there was nothing going on on the interior of that line. When they tried to run the ball in the interior, nothing was happening. Absolutely. Like, three yards max. Like, they were just staying their guys up, holding their ground, shedding blockers, and making plays. Like, there was just simply no And, man, oh, man, does Jordan Davis have his body looking good. Someone that has a big knock on him has been how out of shape he always is. That guy, I mean. Let's just say this, guys. Let's enjoy this. Let's enjoy Jordan Davis for this year because he ain't coming back next year. No, not if he stays healthy. He's gone. He, he's gone. And I, but I, I mean, it's not. It's not only Jordan Davis. I mean, Jalen Carter played really well when he came in, and even uh, old preacher man Julian Rochester. You know the that your your uncle that's like twenty years older than you that's still out there played well. Julian played well. I mean, Julian's thirty seven years old, so he should play well. But yeah, he played really well. You're right. Jalen Carter is actually next up on my list here. I thought he really flashed that. He had that one nice tackle for loss. We kind of knifed in there with that quickness. And then he, and he was just put. He was bullying those O linemen on the pass rush too. Yeah, and that's your concern about guys like that are, that are coming out of high school and playing in the trenches in the SEC. That you can have that elite quickness, but are you man enough? Are you are you ready to hold up down after down in the line of scrimmage in the SEC? And I think the answer right now through one game, yeah, small sample size, but the answer I think is pretty definitively yes for Jalen Carter right now. I think he's going to be everything that we thought he was going to be. I thought Devontae Wyatt was awesome. Devontae Wyatt is just he, – he's such an underrated player. No one talks about Devontae Wyatt. That guy, he rushes the passer. He holds his ground the run game. He, he does it all, man. That, that guy is awesome. And we saw guys like Warren Brinsey in the game. Tramel Walthour comes in and plays a little bit of that five-tech defensive end. Like we were rolling guys in and out. The thing was, we weren't missing a beat when we were rolling different guys in there. And that is – like having that kind of depth – that is going to be huge for us down the road. I mean, this is going to be the best defensive line that we've had in – I mean, I told my wife as we were watching us, I, I, what I said was, and maybe this is hyperbole right now, maybe I was kind of overreacting, but I think this might be the best defensive line we've had since like the early 2000s. Like really, I believe it might be. I think it might be. I, I don't think I'm being crazy there. Maybe I am, but someone can tell me if I'm, if I'm missing something here, but I think this might be the overall best D-line that we've had since, you know, 2002, 2003, 2004 years. I really do. All right, so let me see here. I'm going to stick on defense again, and I'm going to I'm going to talk about the inside linebackers. We know what we have, Monty Rice. Monty Rice is awesome. He's instinctive. He's he's got good speed. He tackles well. Monty Rice is awesome. But the other two guys next to Monty, the Kobe Dean and Quay Walker, those guys are awesome, man. They are bad dudes. Curtis, of those two, who do you like better? I'm not sure there's a right answer right now. What between Nicobe and Quay? Yeah, who do you like better? They both played so well. Outside of Quay just making the one mistake, not picking up the tight end outside the out coming out of the backfield in that one pass play, but I think it got called back maybe. Um, but either other than that, there really wasn't a difference between the two's play. I think that maybe Nakobe is still a little bit more instinctive, 
Um, I, that one play that really stood out to me is it was it was you know where they were. I want to say running back out of the backfield, and Kobe took on the block and still made that tackle out there. Yeah, and they, and they they're both going to play in standard downs. They're going to rotate. It seems like they're going to rotate series by series almost. And they both have different roles on third down. I think Quay is more effective as a blitzer. We've talked about that before. I think he showed that again on Saturday. I think I still believe Quay Walker has the higher ceiling just because of his physical ups. Like if you look at him, he's bigger. I don't want to say he's necessarily faster than Nicobe. I think they're pretty comfortable in speed, but he's got the length. He's got that size. So I think because of that, his upside, if it all clicks for him, might be a little higher. I think Nicobe right now understands the defense a little bit better. I think that's what gives him the edge as the starter right now. But I don't. I really don't think we miss much of a beat with either guy in there next to Monty Rice. I, I think we have three really, really good inside linebackers, and we're just going to roll those guys in and out and not really miss a beat throughout most of the year. All right, what you got next? Ooh, this is probably my last one, but I'm going to sit here and say that I think that we're not as thin at wide receiver as people. You know, it's not as big of a problem as people have been saying. Yeah, and that's actually on my list too. I think we. Here's what I would say. Here's why I've wrote, written down. I think we have weapons in the passing game. Could we say yeah, that? I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. There are like weapons. We, like we had Cager. He was a weapon when he was healthy. And Pickens was a weapon at times when he understood what to do. And as the season went on, he got more and more comfortable in the offense and, uh, and understood what he was supposed to be doing on plays that weren't necessarily just designed for him exclusively. He became much more a weapon. We saw that in the Sugar Bowl game when he, when he set that Sugar Bowl record. Awesome. But that was about it last year in the passing game. Yeah, like Harris looked really good this game like he actually like looked like someone that was more than just an athlete he looked athletic he looked like he was sit- he was sitting down in-, in zones in the right spot it looks like it's clicked for Kiaris Jackson now he did have the hand injury last year early in the season I think that certainly impacted him but Kiaris looked like a different guy whether it's return game passing game we have a I think Kiaris Jackson's gonna be a weapon for us I really do and D-Rob made some plays especially you know a couple plays here and there especially on that that two-minute drive so he's still going to be a weapon there. I, 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 we didn't get to see a ton of Jermaine. Like, we saw Jermaine Burton a lot. We didn't see him get a ton of, ton of opportunities to catch the football. I think he ended up having one catch. But that one catch, Kurt, is pretty impressive, wasn't it? Uh, well, heck yeah, because it led to a touchdown, too. It was tough. Yeah. It, it, let, it, it, it kept the drive going on a third down. The, the defender was draped all over. Now, to, to Stetson's credit, he puts the ball right on Burton. But that's a tough catch for anybody, let alone a true freshman, to make – with a defender draped all over you in traffic like that, and you come down and you make that catch, I think the sky is the limit for Jermaine Burton. He almost had that big pass down the sideline that he was just barely out of bounds on. That's, he almost connected with Stetson there on that one. So I think that he is a guy that is going to start making some big-time plays for us sooner rather than later. I'm really excited about him. Obviously, we know what we have in George Pickens. Matt Landers, he caught a football, which is awesome. Oh, he actually, I mean, he, he not only that, he caught, like, he caught like a couple balls. I was actually like – like if that guy can continue to do it, he could become a weapon because of his body. We've always that's said what I was that. saying last year. Is that like as bad as he was at times and as lost as he was, I did I didn't want to give up on the guy because you see the potential. I've seen the guy do it in 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 small moments and spurts, and he's got that size, the frame. Like he can be really good. It just had to click for him. He had to have confidence, and he had that. T- now, let's go back to the Sugar Bowl. Kurt. He had that touchdown catch. Kind of had to get get low in the ground to catch that ball in uh, in the Sugar Bowl against Baylor. Maybe that kind of helped him get some confidence going to the offseason. But he looked like a different dude. Talk about guys with confidence. What we saw from him last year versus what we saw yesterday in that game, I know it's, again, small sample size. It's always small samples right now when you're, when you're only talking about one game. But he looked confident. He looked aware. He looked like he knew what he was doing. I think this guy can actually be a playmaker for us. I, I really believe that. And tight ends, Darnell Washington made a nice catch 
uh, across the middle, kept running a little bit. We saw Fitzpatrick have a touchdown catch. I thought he looked pretty solid. And we're not even talking about Trey McKinney, who should be back in a couple of weeks. So I think we have weapons in the passing game. I, I'm totally with you there. I think we're in a much better position from, from a skill position standpoint this year than we were last year, especially with Cage having to deal with all the injuries last year. So I think that's something that gives me a little bit of confidence. I know that there are – some legitimate concerns right now about quarterback. I get that, and uh, I, I think those are real concerns. But I feel a lot better about the weapons that we have around the quarterback right now than what we had last year. I, I really do. I really do feel a lot better. All right, I got a couple more. So you said you were tapped out. I got a couple more. I'm going to go with you real quick. Let's go rapid fire here. Kurt, let's talk about the secondary here for a second. I still think like we are an elite run defense. But last year, we gave about 200 yards a game through the air. And we saw some signs uh, of some blown assignments again on Saturday, how confident are you in this secondary in their past defense? Because I, I think that we well, the have one, the one the one thing you talk about with Richard, you know, Kirby even mentioned he didn't really call it a blown assignment. And, and that was that was the prime example. Yeah, Richie let him get behind him, but that was a great play call. And that's why they call football cat mouse game because that was a perfect play call for the blitz we brought that play. Yeah. Um but other than that I I once again will go back to the star position. That's where we need the players to step up. Um, I thought Mark Webb and Stevenson were the two biggest liabilities in the backfield the whole time. I thought Webb played pretty well. You, did you know Stevenson started the game at at star, and then he gave up a couple, he gave up a couple of, of a quick slant routes. He gave up the inside leverage a little too much and got some balls complete on him, and he was out. And then then you bring in Webb, and Webb played star most the rest of the game. I thought he played pretty well. Stevenson came in, obviously, in dime packages to play the money position. But that's and you're, that's also here, my notes. That's one thing I want to talk about is, is I, we still have some issues in man coverage from the slot. Now, guys, you got to understand, that is a much tougher position to defend than playing outside corner because those slot guys are oh, But you've got to do it because, as yep. you saw, Florida and places, people like that will yep. kill you if you don't fix it. And they did that to us in the second half of that game last year. They they feasted on that. It, it's tough. It, it is tough. I you got to say that because you do not get a chance to jam anyone. You don't get hands them at the line of scrimmage because they're playing off the off the ball. It's a much tougher spot to, to defend. And they also have a two way go play with those little option routes. Like if you play inside leverage, they're gonna go outside. If you play outside leverage, you're gonna go inside. We seem to like to play with a lot of outside leverage. So that's why we're giving up all those slants. And going back to last year, we just, we seem to be just dead set on those guys playing with outside leverage. And then if they kill us with those inside slants like, like Ford did, uh, trying to make that comeback last year in Jacksonville, then we'll adjust and we'll play with inside leverage and, and then we'll go from there. But again, we were playing with that heavy outside leverage and Stevenson got beat to the inside a couple of times. And that's got it. But that's got to be shored up. You're exactly right, Curtis. Teams will see that and they will try to exploit that. I'll tell you right now, Auburn will try to exploit that next week. That's something that has got to get fixed. I don't know if we need to start dropping linebackers and dropping uh, outside linebackers under some of those routes. I don't know what we got to do, but we got to start. We, we've got to get more proficient in man coverage from the slot. That's one. I think we were elite on the outside. Like when you talk about Eric Stokes, Campbell, DJ Daniel, I think we, those guys are getting the job done at least in one game, but that, that slot position right there, that's something that I'm still somewhat concerned about. And, and talking about Tyson Campbell, let's just bring him in here, man. What did you make of Tyson Campbell? I think he looks like a different I player. thought he played really, really well. A lot better um, sense of the ball, playing the ball in the air also. Yeah, absolutely. I think – I know obviously it's two years removed from his freshman year, but I remember at South Carolina, the second game of the year in 2018, his freshman year, he, he kind of got picked on that game because he was lost. And he was lost 
pretty much that entire year. He, 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 we knew he was the athlete out there. We knew he had the length. He had the potential to be an, an elite corner, but he was lost. He d- just did not know what was going on. And that's fine. That makes sense for a true freshman cornerback. So we, LSU felt that, that, that fury yesterday with the air raid in Baton Rouge. They had all those young guys out there, and they just got they just got destroyed, man. I mean, Mississippi State, they feasted upon those young cornerbacks. So it, it happens. But Campbell looks like a different player. We didn't see him a ton last year because of the, the injury, but he was confident, he was aggressive, and he was aware, which was his big issue. He was always in position as a freshman, or often in position, but just didn't always make the play. I think he looks like a different player. He started the game. I love DJ Daniel, but if Campbell is going to be that guy the rest of the way, he's got to be the starter. He's got to be the starter. There's no doubt there. Um, and uh, w- one more thing here for me, Curtis, and we'll get out of here. Tell me what you saw from Zeus. What did you like about what you saw from Zeus? Oh, some tough running. Um, I thought he definitely got going better in the second half. Um, the one thing, the one run that really sticks out to me, of course, was the nice touchdown run where he did two separate cuts. And that's what I was looking for from Zeus. Okay, I'm not necessarily looking from a yardage standpoint. He had a nice game. I think he averaged over five yards a carry. He looked good. But what I went into this game looking for from him is what I talked about all offseason. Is he going to be back to the old Zeus from his high school days? What I mean when I say that is, is the burst back? Is the lateral agility back? Because we did not see that from him last year. What we saw from him last year is put my head down and run over you, Zeus. And he's got the power to do that. That's a big part of the game, but he's more than that. That's not the only thing that makes him elite. It's that he can do that. Plus, he's got the lateral agility. He's got that burst, that explosion. I saw more explosion. And he certainly showcased the old lateral agility that I hadn't seen from him in a couple of years. As you mentioned, special on that touchdown run. So I think there were signs when there's room there, when we actually throw the football and complete some passes and put the defense in a run-pass conflict, I think we saw Zeus show and flash some of those things, that skill set that we did not see from him last year, and I think that's a really good sign for us moving forward. So I think that's a that, that's something that we've got to be really excited about as we head into the teeth of this schedule. Because, guys, next couple of weeks, next five weeks, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. we got to get ready to play. But all right, guys. That's all we got for you here today. Obviously, I'm sure we missed something. There's so much to talk about, but that's why we have the mailbag episode. So if you have any questions about anything that we did not cover, or heck, if there's any questions you have about things we did cover, send them to us on Twitter at glory underscore UGA, or you can email them to us at glorygapodcast at gmail.com, and we will include all those questions on the mailbag into everything that we did not get to today on the show. But thanks for listening, guys. I'm hey, We're 1-0. I'm glad to be there. I'll take it. It wasn't always pretty, but I'll take 1-0 because you know what? Right now, Oklahoma would like to be there. LSU would like to be there. They're not. So we're 1-0. We've got a big test ahead of us this week, but we'll tackle that the rest of the week on the show. So thanks for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.